This is episode number 441 with Kate Strashny, data visualization expert and entrepreneur. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Crone, and it is my great pleasure to be joined today by the fun and fabulous Kate Strashny. Kate is a legendary figure in the data world. She's an expert on data visualization, founder of several data-related companies, including her dedicated academy learning platform, and author of four, count them, four data-focused books. This episode should be of interest to anyone who works with data because we emphasize how critical effective data visualization and communication are for the success of anyone working with data, and Kate provides her top visualization and communication tips. To boot, Kate also provides guidance on how to succeed as an entrepreneur, including how to build a massive social media community around your brand, as well as the pros and cons of publishing books with a major publisher or on your own. Kate is such a joy to speak to. Come have a laugh with us. Kate, welcome to the program. It's so nice to see you again. John, thank you for having me. (laughs) Um, So, Kate, tell us, from the perspective of your children, what do you do for a living? From the perspective of my children, so I have a four-year-old and six-year-old girl, and um, yesterday I was doing homework with them, and one of the questions the six-year-old had to answer for her first grade project was, who do you want to be when you grow up? Um, So she's like, well, she always has trouble with this question because she used to say, I would like to just be your daughter forever. But now she's moved up and said, (laughs) well, you don't do anything. Why can't I just do what you do? So I clearly (laughs) don't do anything, um, which is really good news for me because I was under the impression that they think I work all the time. But, you know, it's a it's a win in the (laughs) model for me where they think I don't do anything. I later explained to her that I am a business owner. So she wrote down business owner. So future business owner in my house. So, okay, tell us about your businesses. I think they're highly relevant to our audience. Yep, absolutely. Happy to talk about that. So I'll go ahead and start with Story by Data, which is something I started a couple of years back and it's currently focused on media partnerships. So the way I think of it is it's the umbrella company under which everything else happens. That's the actual corporation. And the other companies underneath that are the dedicated conference and the dedicated academy. So the conference is, you'll probably be surprised, but it's a conference. Um, And the dedicated academy (laughs) is an academy where I teach online, um, where I have online courses on data visualization, data storytelling, and more. Yeah, I have actually, I've gone and checked out your dedicated academy, and I think it looks great. Uh, If I remember correctly, there's a lot of content on uh, data visualization, right? Yes, absolutely. That's the focus of the entire academy is data visualization, 
visual best practices. I'm currently working on a course that launches exactly seven days from now on January 21st, where I talk about dedicated storytelling. It's going to absorb all the visual best practices content. Um, and in addition to that, there's something really cool I'm working on that I've been procrastinating on, but it's called the data to dashboard series. So the data to dashboard series is really focused on taking the students from data to dashboard using a variety of tools. So at the moment, I have a course up there on going data to dashboard with Tableau Public. I've got one with Power BI. And the vision is to have a course with Python, R, Click, SciSense, ThoughtSpot, and all the other tools that I can find on data visualization. Nice. That sounds really great. And uh, for the audience, um, so January 21st will be in the past by the time you hear this. Not the distant past, just a week or two. Um, but so that course, um, the first course that you mentioned, what was the first one again? Not the one you were just talking There's about. There's visual, visual best practices. Visual it, best practices. That will yes. be live by the time our audience hears it. Nice. And yeah, you do an amazing job um, with creating your content. I'm sure that it will be a wonderful resource for people interested in telling better stories with data. Thank you. So what kinds of tools or approaches do you focus on most in your content that you teach or in your just your general life as a business person? What kinds of data science tools? So I don't even call myself a data scientist per se. I started working in data on the data visualization side of things. So mainly focused on Tableau, Power BI, and then more recently, all these other tools. But I've definitely studied a bit of Python and R. I've even delivered some training on Python without really knowing it too well. Don't don't tell the others. But that's I heard that's the best way to learn is by teaching. But in terms of the you know full data science stack, that's pretty much all there is. I focus more on yeah. using the easy no, but stuff. I, I mean, I guess <laughs> knowing your background, I should have asked that question better. Just in terms of what tools you use for data visualization for making your magic happen. Um, not necessarily your deep learning models, though I do know that you do know some deep learning because I know that uh, you read my book, uh, Deep Learning Illustrated. And in fact, I'm in a huge debt to you because um, you did a promotion of my book. And I don't know if I ever told you this or not, but um, the that day and the next day were the two best sales days that's, that the book ever had. So wow, look at that! Well, it's a great book. I love all the colors in there, and you start out really, really simple, and it actually gets and progresses as we go. I was just playing with that book. It's in my basement um, office library area, displayed really nicely. I should have brought it up and kind of showed it off. But <laughs> one thing you don't know is actually I analyzed my post for. I think this was last year. Yeah, I posted this last year, early last year. Um, and that post was one of my top five best performing posts. So maybe I need to take another book wow. selfie and get some promotions out there for you. Nice. Well, I will not complain about that. That's for sure. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I guess the point is you don't need to tell us about uh, the deep learning tools that you know and love or data science <laughs> tools, but just the data visualization tools, uh, because that is something that definitely data scientists use all the time or all the kinds of data analytics and data visualization people that are listening to the program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love all the data visualization tools that I've used so far, but I tend to go back to Tableau just because it's the tool that I started with and it's the tool that I know best. And I, 
I always get this question like, hey, what's your favorite data visualization tool? And I feel like the tool itself doesn't really matter as much as just getting the job done and visualizing the data that you need and telling that data story. But for me, the answer has typically been Tableau because it's given me all the things I need in terms of telling that data story. And all these data visualization tools, I talk about them like they're a kitchen. Okay, so let's say there's a kitchen, uh, a Tableau kitchen, a Power BI kitchen. Every house, for the most part, has a kitchen. But not in every house, you'll know where the spoon is or where the fork is or where the plates are. You'll know that they're there because clearly it's a kitchen. Or how do you turn on the stove? And it'll take you some time fumbling around, but you'll, you know, you'll make dinner in any kitchen, but it's a lot quicker for me in my house, which I call Tableau. That's a beautiful analogy. I love it. Um, But then that kind of also implies that maybe the best thing about Tableau is that it's the one you've used the most, which I guess is kind of true. But what else? I mean, I know the Tableau is an amazing tool. I have read all kinds of surveys that suggest that it is one of the most popular and in-demand tools in data science that people should know. So what is it about Tableau that makes it better than other tools that you use? I think it's the ease of use, the interactive, the functionality, the ability to build a dashboard really, really quickly and tie multiple data sources together. Yes, dashboards, absolutely. That is, now now I'm remembering. I obviously don't have much experience with Tableau, but it's one of those things I'm like, I need to learn Tableau because I keep hearing such good things about it. And now today is just another one of those days. You can take my course. I mean, okay, so if you've not used Tableau, I'll describe it for you. If you've used Excel before and you've put together a pivot table, it is like a pivot table on steroids where you drag and drop things and you select the rows and columns that you want to visualize. Then it gives you, I think, uh, probably 30 or so charts in the show me tool where you can click a bar chart or line graph and kind of pick around what how you want to visualize things. It makes things so, so easy. And I think that's why I fell in love with it right away because there was zero learning curve. Obviously, you can get really complicated and go into all these advanced level of detail calculations and, you know, make things animated and all that good stuff. And that's the best part, right? It's easy to start, but you have the room to grow if you needed to do something more complicated. So I think that's why they're, they're doing pretty well in the market. Brilliant. Well, I mean, I definitely need to do that. So it's your Tableau course is on the dedicated Academy. Yes, it is. Nice. Okay, from data to dashboard do in like an hour. Yes, do it. In an hour? All right. Eliminating unnecessary distractions is one of the central principles of my lifestyle. As such, I only subscribe to a handful of email newsletters, those that provide a massive signal-to-noise ratio. One of the very few that meet my strict criterion is the Data Science Insider. If you weren't aware of it already, the Data Science Insider is a 100% free newsletter that the Super Data Science team creates and sends out every Friday. We pour over all of the news and identify the most important breakthroughs in the fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. The top five, simply five news items. The top five items are handpicked, the items that we're confident will be most relevant to your personal and professional growth. Each of the five articles is summarized into a standardized, easy to read format, and then packed gently into a single email. This means that you don't have to go and read the whole article, 
You can read our summary and be up to speed on the latest and greatest data innovations in no time at all. That said, if any items do particularly tickle your fancy, then you can click through and read the full article. This is what I do. I skim the Data Science Insider newsletter every week. Those items that are relevant to me, I read the summary in full. And if that signals to me that I should be digging into the full original piece, for example, to pour over figures, equations, code, or experimental methodology, I click through and dig deep. So, if you'd like to get the best signal-to-noise ratio out there in data science, machine learning, and AI news, subscribe to the Data Science Insider, which is completely free and no strings attached, at superdatascience.com DSI. That's superdatascience.com DSI. And now, let's return to our amazing episode. So in your job that from your perspective, from your child's perspective, which I do agree, it's great that they don't think you're working all the time because I'm sure you feel like you're working all the time and like you're abandoning your children. Um, but uh, beyond abandoning your children, <laughs> what do you do on a daily basis in your role? Like what's your day-to-day like? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. And actually, if you ask my husband, he's going to say, you just sit on social media all day because anytime he passes by, I'm just scrolling through LinkedIn or making videos. So everyone has an interesting perspective in my house. Um, I don't want to know what the cat <laughs> is. But <laughs> so I'm between doing nothing and being on social media all day. I think a large part of my day is actually working on LinkedIn and being on social media, putting out content, engaging with the audience, because half the company um, focused is, is focused on media partnerships. And the only way to obtain media partnerships is to have an audience and to have an audience. You have to engage that audience. So that's a part of what I do. Other than that, I obviously run the dedicated Academy, which involves recording courses, which I was doing right before our call today. Um, I'm recording this new course nice. standing what were up you recording today. Yeah. Standing up. Storytelling. Yeah, standing up. Um, it's actually different. You can project, you can use your hands more. It's just you're you're a lot more with I don't know, with the audience, I feel like. Oh, and it's about oh, storytelling. Oh, you mean you were you were recording standing up. I thought that yeah. you were saying that it, 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 the content, like the topic was standing up. No. <laughs> and no. I, you know, I wasn't literally thinking like a lesson on how to get off of your chair. But I thought maybe it was like a lesson on how to do a stand-up presentation and how to gesture properly and all of these things. But obviously, that actually is a part of it. That's oh. going to be towards the end of the course. Is all about how do you get over the nerves and how do you prepare? And standing up is going to be part of that course. But no, today I was focused more <laughs> on how do you make stories um, sticky, memorable. How do you get to know your audience? Make sure you provide the right level of detail. It's all about data storytelling. And the course goes live in seven days, like I said, um, and I'm just starting to record. record. Yeah. Y- yeah. Oh my goodness, this is the one that goes live. So yeah, listeners will be able to listen to this. That's kind of trippy to think about that something that you haven't done yet at the time we're recording is something that when anybody listens to this, it yeah. will be done. Um, yeah, I don't know why that I find that so trippy. But uh, there's a big hit. I probably, from your perspective, you're like, I wish I was at that point in the future. I, I absolutely do. And every time I set a goal, I'm like, okay, I just can't wait to get to that date because I know no matter what happens, I will make it happen by that date. I don't know how it will happen, but over the next seven days, 
something will click and the course will just come together. But that's the other side of things, what I do. And then the third part of my day is focused on events. So live events, um, interviews, conferences, and the next, uh, the next big conference coming up in less than a month at this point. Um, yeah, the dedicated conference that's taking up a lot of my mind energy. I bet. I mean, it's a huge coordinating something like that. I can only imagine it's something that like I would never dream of trying to organize a conference. That seems like a huge undertaking. And I want to take a moment here to talk about. So this is your second conference, right? This is my second conference. Yes. So your first one was really innovative. I love the way that you ran this conference. So you had 10 minute slots and I think it was on a weekend, if I'm remembering correctly. No, no, it was, uh, I think it was on a Tuesday. I try to keep oh. things on a Tuesday, but it was a one day event for four hours only. Short story about that. Um, the event is streamed on LinkedIn Live, right? So I've not seen another conference that's streamed on LinkedIn Live. I wanted to experiment. This whole thing started at the end of August last year. So end of August, 2020, I decide, hey, maybe I should do a conference. And I scheduled one for about two months out. So October 27th was the date. So I had a little less than two months to get speakers, get sponsors, community partners. Um, what else was there? Promotions, get people to attend. I'm like, what's that missing ingredient? Oh, yeah, attendees. I had to get attendees for that conference. And I did this kind of as an experiment to see, can we even have a conference on LinkedIn Live? So for the next two months between... You know, end of August and end of October, I just spent my time trying to plan all these things out. And I tried to simplify things. That's why I gave speakers only 10 minutes slots. And the interesting part is LinkedIn only lets you stream for four hours. So at the four hour mark, they will just right. say enough, cut, that's it. No warning, it just cuts you off. So I knew that I had 16 speakers um, between which I had to throw in some Q&A, some giveaways for the community partners, some sponsor commercials and all this great stuff. And I knew that if I am off by one minute, the last speaker will just get cut off and I won't be able to conclude, which in my mind is the worst thing that can happen. So I had to, I had like a stopwatch and I was just like, okay, go. And I was so nervous this whole time. Um, but it was probably the best uh, thing to happen to me career-wise. And I learned so much in that process. Uh, and you, you mean the conference in general, not just that yeah. everyone spoke for 10 minutes or, or everyone <laughs> spoke for 10 minutes. General. That was the best thing that's ever happened in your career. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, Some people definitely went over, um, but I cut them off. So I mean, you have to with that kind of type timeline. Uh, yeah. And you had amazing speakers. Some of the biggest names in data science. You had Kirk Bourne and Miko Yak, Ben Taylor, Cassie Kosikoff, and Bernard Marr. Those are big names. Uh, so I have no doubt that the conference that's coming up is also going to be big. And I think by the time viewers are listening, so um, it'll be coming up in just a few days. So tell us about uh, this upcoming one. Is it going to be on LinkedIn Live again? Yes. So this one is slightly different because I am not limiting myself to the four hours. It is still on LinkedIn Live, but I found a workaround. This event will go on for three days, but only three hours per day. This way, if we run over, I have that one hour buffer where I don't have nice. to stress or pull my hair out while people are going over their time. Like um, this, The speakers will still have 10 minutes speaking slots and presentations, but they also have about eight to 10 minutes of Q&A. So I know that's about a 50% breakdown where I think most conferences do 
you know, like a 20 minute talk with a, a five minute Q and A at the end. The, the first conference generated oh. over 5,300 comments and in, in a matter of four hours. Wow. Now I literally couldn't even keep up. It was just flying. Right. But I also didn't have enough time to engage with them. Yeah. And I I really missed out on that because people are joining live so they can talk to us. And this time, each speaker will stay on the the live event for some Q&A afterwards. Beautiful. That sounds really smart to me. And so on the note of conferences and social media and LinkedIn, you were talking about one of the things you do day to day is you're on social media all day. And I've got to say, it must be working. So your ability to engage with audiences, as far as I'm aware, in the data world is unparalleled. So you have 150,000 followers on LinkedIn, Kate. Uh, what are your secrets? Is it just a, is it just putting in the hours? Is it just putting in the time? Or are there any? Is there anything that people could be doing with? You know, what are the, are there any shortcuts you can provide to us if we'd like to be, you know, building a social media following or just getting more engagement? Um, you know, helping our personal brand. Um, as a data professional, yeah, absolutely. So not not many shortcuts, but I'll I'll, I'll tell my story of how this happened. Uh, I never set out to be a social media anything, right? I was actually a very private person, uh, especially a couple of years back. I I still never posted pictures of my children, right? I, I talk about them, but I've never shown them. They do exist, though. You heard one of them earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the way it happened was when I was just learning Tableau about six and a half years ago, I decided to just post online. One of my first posts ever on LinkedIn was, hey, I'm taking this test, uh, the Tableau certification test, and here are some other goals that I plan to achieve this year. And I had probably like five likes or one, like one or two comments. And I was like, oh my God, people care. People care about my goals. Because somebody said like, you can do it, Kate. And I'm like, wow, I can do it. And that became sort of addictive where you get that feedback from people, you get that engagement. So I kept coming back and I would post more and that kind of snowballed into something bigger. But I think what truly worked for me is not just posting for the sake of posting, like, oh no, I have to post twice a day or something like that. I would literally post whenever I felt like it. So if I had an idea and I wanted to ask a question Hmm. or share something, I would either go on camera, make a little video, or just post um, post some text, post some pictures. And I would actually care about the responses. So it was never, let me post this article to get traffic to the site or get people to think this way about me. No, I would ask, hey, what should I learn? Python or R? And then a war would begin, right? Clearly. Um, but that engagement was interesting <laughs> yeah, for me. Yeah, I know, I know. I think I actually did something like that early on. Don't do that. Um, unless you like controversy. Uh, but yeah, I think asking questions that you truly care um, about the answers goes a long way because then you're waiting for answers. Once you get one, you engage with it and you build a, a relationship. The data community is huge, but at the same time, it's very small in the sense that most people know each other, right? You just read off those names from the speakers. And I would predict that the listeners probably have at least heard of um, most of those speakers and that's because we all we all kind of hang out together. I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it is a huge community, but people tend to know each other. And I think building those relationships is yeah. exactly what helped. Yeah, I mean, as a case in point, and this is off social media, but um, we, you and I have met once 
And it was at the Open Data Science Conference in 2019 in San Francisco. And I saw you in the hallway. You were like, you were standing with Kirk Bourne, whom we were just talking about, who's another megastar of data science. And I saw you two talking together. I knew who he was, uh, but I recognized you and I knew that we were connected on LinkedIn. And I was like, hi, I'm John. And I, there's no way you know who I am, but uh, like, I know who you are. And, and then I ended up later in the conference, uh, actually at, at the end of the conference, uh, Kirk Bourne was leaving and waiting for an Uber or something to arrive. And I was waiting for an Uber to arrive. We got a great photo together, uh, ended up building some rapport. And I also sent him a copy of Deep Learning Illustrated, which mm-hmm. he said nice things about online. Um, so I couldn't agree more that it is, it's, an, it's interesting that data science has grown so much as a community, but online, we're connected all over the world. You have people that are commenting on your posts from everywhere. Uh, and then once COVID is over and conferences happen again, it's amazing how just a handful of conferences, you can be running into the same people uh, over and over again. Oh, absolutely. Back pre-COVID days, I would attend conferences and unknowingly, right, people would come up to me and say, oh my God, are you Kate? And I'm like, what? yeah, why? Like, what's the big deal? They're like, I've been watching you for four years. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. But, you know, these are the people who don't really comment or engage. They just see your content every single day. So they feel like they know you. Um, sometimes it does get weird. I, I have definitely had some awkward moments where I wish people didn't really know me. Like, I got a message on LinkedIn <laughs> saying, um, was that you walking past Bryant Park? I think I just saw you. I'd love to connect. And I'm like, oh, God, this is weird. Like, um, oh, I mean, weird, obviously, yeah. it's only the data people who would who would recognize me. But I do miss I do miss the in-person conferences. It's so different. I love my dedicated virtual conference. But one day, I hope to run an in-person conference, um, probably in New York or maybe somewhere else. Nice. Amazing. And we haven't talked about that. But now you've mentioned New York and you've mentioned... Uh, Bryant Park, which people who have been to New York may know that that is a beautiful park uh, in Midtown Manhattan. And yeah, so and that's, I mean, just as a little bit of context, that is where you live and where you're calling from today, right? New York? Yes, it is. Yes, lived here since 1996. I don't know why I looked at the calendar when I said that. Like, <laughs> not like it's <laughs> on there. <laughs> yeah, 1996, it was. Yep, exactly. <laughs> confirmed. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. So you mentioned 1996 and moving to New York, which got me thinking. So this building this amazing following, all these companies, uh, these hundred over 100,000 people following you on, on LinkedIn. When was that post? How many years ago was that that you had that first post where you realized you had engagement and you kind of had this this passion arise of becoming a social media influencer? Yeah, I think that was probably about five years ago. And I think the growth, it didn't happen so fast, but once it picked up, it actually um, it probably more than doubled since last year in terms of the number of followers. Um, maybe the conference had something to do with it or potentially LinkedIn Live interviews where I would bring on some really cool people and get them to talk about their stuff. Yeah, I think that's that's probably why and um, why the following has grown so fast. That plus being consistent. I probably post at least once a day, every single day. In fact, my analytics for 2020 said I post 2.47 times a day on average. Might be excessive to some. Especially if those are all 
No, I mean, especially if there are things that you're genuinely interested in and then it's easy to stay engaged yourself. And yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And so, yeah, things just continue to grow and grow. Um, now, you are an avid runner, right? Um, so do you think that fitness helps with being so consistent? Do you think that there's a relationship between like consistency, <clears throat> consistency because you need that to be successful in any kind of fitness pursuit? and this kind of uh, incredible consistency that you have with your work? You know, honestly, I'm not sure if there is any relationship between fitness and um, social media. Definitely some, you know, relationship with being consistent. But interestingly, I think running has actually helped me grow the following because in 2019, I posted quite often about running. I had a challenge uh, to run a thousand miles in 2019. And I ended up completing that challenge. I remember the last month in December, I still had 100 miles left and I decided to finish it with a 12 pound weighted vest just because, you know, why not challenge myself a little bit more. But I was very public with the challenge and I always posted the data visualizations of my pace and my miles and am I going to make it, you know. Mm. Uh, But it started on January 1st of 2019 where I posted something online that said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So then I'm like, I should run a thousand miles. And it was that random because uh, prior to that, I didn't really run that much until like, I think 2018 was the, the year I actually started running in general. So it happened fast. Oh, interesting. Do you use Tableau to track all of your running and create like a dashboard? Yes. So I used RunKeeper to actually track the runs, but they have an export feature where you could, you know, just get a CSV file and plug that into. Uh, yes, you guessed it. I used Tableau, but sometimes I used other tools. Yeah, just I, was, to- I was kind of joking. I love that that ended up being right. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Um, well, that was, yeah, great to hear about. I, I have another question about um, another thing that you do on the side that you haven't mentioned yet which I might be misstating this, but I'm pretty sure you've published four books, right? You are correct. Yes. I forgot all about those. Uh, I, I mean, they must have been a lot of work. It's crazy that, that, that you could forget about them at all. I, I'm still, I have scars from writing my book all the time. <laughs> I'm thinking about them. I can hardly sleep at night from the scars. Um, but uh, but do, do you want to tell us about that? And I think also something that's interesting about what you did. And I think this is something in particular that our audience might be interested in. So if people have ever thought about writing a book and how to do it, if I'm right about this as well, I think all four or some of them at least are self-published, right? So all four are self-published. So tell us about that. Like, so why would somebody self-publish? What are the advantages of doing it that way? Um, Tell us about your experience and maybe even tell us a little bit about the content of the books. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to do so. So the first book, Journey to Data Scientist, it started with my wanting to determine, do I want to get into working with data? Right. And at that point, I was in risk management, regulatory compliance, uh, doing consulting for banks, completely different side of my my career. But uh, I figured the best way to understand if this is something I wanted to do was to talk to people who work in data science. So I set up interviews with some individuals and I'm pretty sure Ben Taylor was one of the people I interviewed for that first book from, uh, from data robot. He wasn't at data robot at the moment, but anyways, so I got on these calls and 
as I was having these conversations, I noticed that people had really interesting stories, right? They were musicians or they had all these different backgrounds. And I decided, hey, maybe other people are sitting around just like me thinking about getting into data, but they don't know if it's for them. So why not publish a book? And I love trying new things just for the sake of learning how to do it. I feel like that's really the best way to learn absolutely anything. You want to learn basketball, take a ball, throw it in the hoop, right? Don't read about it. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Obviously, I researched things along the way, like how do I self-publish a book? And I decided to go the self-publishing route because uh, after some research, I, I learned that A, you keep your royalties, you own everything. And I'm kind of a control freak. So I wanted to design my own cover. I wanted to write things my way. I didn't want people to say, no, I think you should have said it this way. No, I don't like control. So that was book number one. Uh, the second book is called The Disruptors. And I've actually interviewed Kirk Bourne, uh, Bernard Marr, um, Harlan Gentry, and uh, several others in terms of trying to learn how are they disrupting the data industry. Really great stories, really fun interviews. I even had DJ Patil, who is the um, chief data scientist at the White House, take part in that book. That was my most difficult yeah, person. Former, to get former. former, yes, former. Oh, yeah, really? But yeah, I mean, I remember emailing him. Yes, yes. And I have um, stories in the book about that as well. So really interesting. I remember asking him on LinkedIn, actually, hey, do you want to take part in my book? And I think he was like, who even are you and why? (laughs) Like, why would I? How are you? You know, (laughs) your credibility. (laughs) So I just want to write a book. And he's like, okay. Is that what he wrote? (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was kind of. Um, a few others also told me kind of like, hey, what's your, what are your credentials? Do you have like a PhD? And I'm like, yeah, no, I just want to write a book. So, but he was super nice and he gave me his time and I really appreciated that. So that was book number two, again, self-published because it's so easy, right? I use Amazon and it's for people who are thinking about writing a book, it's as easy as uploading a PDF right. to a website. That's all you have to do. Like, I mean, there's some steps in between of formatting and I hired some people on Fiverr to do some of my copy editing and making sure the book looks like a book because I'm not a fan of just formatting text all day. And some people are just really good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's two. I'll briefly talk about the next two. Those are both co-written with others. So Mothers of Data Science, I co-wrote with Kristen Kerr. And again, we interviewed some really awesome mothers of data science. I think the most, one of the most interesting was the author of Weapons of Math Destruction, Kathy O'Neill. She had some really oh. interesting insights. Oh, so, yeah. 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 And uh, the last book was uh, Data Literacy for Kids, co-authored with Jordan Morrow, who at the time was the global head of data literacy at Click, but now has moved on to Pluralsight. So all fun, all fun experiences, but I, I'm not sure I would write a book. Like it's not on my list this year. That's for sure. I already know that because people have asked. I'm like, no, <laughs> other things, other things. Too many, too many miles to run this year. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that's brilliant. Thank you for that, that bit of insight. Um, so I guess to kind of summarize the self-publishing adventure. So obviously you get complete control if you go down that route. You get yeah. all the royalties. I mean, there must be some... When you upload well, yeah, it to Amazon, Amazon it must some, yeah, yeah, and but Amazon. it's like it's a small percentage. Whereas if you publish with a major publisher, 
the standard in the industry is that you get 12 and a half percent of sales in royalties. Um, so yeah. yours was probably the other way around. <laughs> yeah, but I guess the idea with working with a publisher is you get the credibility of, you know, I've been published by a publisher and you get them to market your book, which I personally never needed, right? I didn't need the marketing side of um, the marketing support because that's kind of what I enjoy doing the most. So. Yeah, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you definitely you have your marketing channels all set up. You have an audience ready. Uh, I think there are some shifts happening, though. I think that in the last few years, people like you, people like Andre Burkov, by self-publishing, they have shown that this is a legitimate route to having a best-selling book. Um, Andre Burkov's hundred-page uh, machine learning book, one of the best-selling machine learning books in recent years. And yeah. yeah, completely self-published. I think that part of the key is that you have to have the self-awareness to say, okay, what parts of book publishing am I not amazing at? So in your case, marketing, no problem. Um, but maybe, you know, like you're saying, typesetting or something isn't the way that you want to spend your time. So using yeah. um, using a service like Fiverr to find people to do that, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. That's good tips. Yeah. All right, Kate. So um, we've talked about your favorite visualizations tools. We've talked about Tableau. Do you think that that is one of the most important skills that people working in data should have? Um, or I guess I should say more, or, or let me let me make some guesses here. So based on what you do for a living, I'm, I think it's safe to say that you would, that you think it's important for people who work with data, whether they are machine learning experts or data scientists, or um, probably even if they're in management related to data, being able to visualize and tell a story around that data, I suspect you would say is one of the most important things. Um, yes, and, yes, you got it. <laughs> and so the reason why I ask is because one of the things that our audience is most interested in is for, for people to enhance their careers or their capacity as a data professional. So obviously data visualization is, is what you're going to say, but beyond Tableau, are there particular tools that you highly recommend? I, again, I'm going to go back to the tool. I don't think it matters as much. I mentioned Tableau right. a few times just because I'm, I'm comfortable right. with it. But I think there are some guidelines that people can follow, no That's matter what or programming language that, that they use, right? So a couple I'll mention are using color intentionally. You'd be surprised when people get their hands on any database tool or software or programming language, they'll throw the colors of the rainbow on there just because it looks so pretty. and it, what strikes me as really interesting is people don't really, they don't really think uh, that that makes a difference, right? Especially the more technical people who have spent so much time cleaning the data, getting the sources to talk to each other, wrangling it all, making sense of everything. And then that last part, the last mile of analytics, as some like to call it, they don't spend as much time in there because they're like, oh, I'm not creative or, you know, it doesn't really matter. But for me, that's truly the most important part because that's the section of the process that gets seen by your audience, by your decision makers, by your management leadership, whomever. Um, and that makes all the difference. You can use color intentionally. You can reduce clutter, remove some of the grid lines and really clean up your visualizations, format them so they look really good. Use the right chart to begin with, right? That's another uh, common mistake that I've seen people do is not use the proper chart for the um, for representing the specific data type. And all those tiny little changes go a really long way. I mean, I remember when I started visualizing data, probably if I look at things now, I would laugh and kind of 
criticize myself and judge myself, but I simply didn't know better. I felt like whatever the default settings of, you know, Tableau were at the time, I just thought they were great. Sure. It, you know, it's a bar chart. How much better can we get? But then over time, I, I kept researching and looking at really good dashboards and data visualizations and learn some of those best practices. So now I'm kind of on this mission to teach others that there is a way there, you know, there's like a checklist you can follow to say, okay, is my text all horizontal? Can you actually read it? Are the colors contrasted enough that we think about color blindness or printing in black and white? So many things to consider that to me is common sense, but I am realizing that to most others, it's something that, you know, they don't even really give much thought. Those are such good tips. I, yeah, thank you so much for answering that. A better question than the one that I asked. Um, that's so valuable. Yeah, it, these are you're exactly right. These are the things that are so important for people working with data. You've you've got to be presenting yourself. You know, putting the best put, foot forward. You could be using the most sophisticated modeling technique, but if you can't make clear why that's valuable to your stakeholders, then it almost doesn't matter in some ways. Uh, yeah. You might not, you, you know, yeah. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And you can presumably all of the things you mentioned, or pr- pr- presumably most of them are the kinds of things that you cover in the dedicated Academy, right? Oh yeah. That's probably, you know, 20% of the things I actually cover in the Academy. We go d- deep dive into what are the best practices for using every chart type, right? It's, it gets really detailed. Beautiful. That sounds hugely valuable. So you've accomplished so much. You have this uh, quickly exponentially increasing audience on LinkedIn. You have four uh, self-published books. You have uh, several businesses. So what's next for you? Where are things going? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So I, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about where are things going. And I think my, for me, 2020 was the year of exploration. I tried a whole bunch of things, right? So we have the books, we have the events, we have the media partnerships, the live events, conferences. I also have dedicated merch. If people want a dedicated t-shirt or a mug or something. (laughs) Yes. Um, So I think for me, for 2021 is the year of focus. And I'm focusing in on two things. One being those bigger, bigger events and conferences. And the other one is going to corporations with the courses that I've that I'm building and that I have built in addition to expanding the academy itself to including external um, guest guest authors, right? So I want other people, other instructors to come in and teach at my academy because clearly I'm not an expert in, let's say, Python, right? But I have a course I need to develop on how to go from data to dashboard using Python Plotly Dash. Well, yes, I could spend the time and invest in my own education and learn it, which I plan to do. But I feel like I still won't be the best person to teach that course. So I'm going to work with external instructors. And that also gives me more time to focus on going to corporations and showing them, you know, here's the sales catalog. Here's what we've got. Here's how we can help your, your staff learn data. So those are some of the things. I'm sure I'll come up with something weird, like coming up with a data literacy board game or something. I think that was on my list for this year. We'll see what happens. Or maybe an app. I don't know. I tend to run in different directions and get excited about random things. But I'm trying to focus really hard. Well, I'm confident whatever you choose to do will be hugely successful, like everything else you've done in the past. 
So uh, one question that we always ask on the Super Data Science Podcast, which I haven't even mentioned to the audience that this is not your first time on the Super Data Science oh, Podcast. Yeah. So uh, you were on a couple of years ago. It was uh, a couple of years ago. I think maybe 2018 or 2017. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, so you may be aware, <laughs> you may recall... <laughs> That uh, the- oh my God. <laughs> uh, we asked for a book recommendation. We'd like, to, we'd love to know what you're reading right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll tell you two things. One, what I'm reading right now, and then um, a book recommendation that I typically give. So I'll start with right now, I am reading a book called Your Next Five Moves, which actually is the reason I'm thinking about some of my next moves. And, you know, focus has been one of those areas that came out of that book, but it's by uh, Patrick Bet David and a really, really amazing book that really gets you thinking about strategy and thinking ahead. So for the longest time, for some reason, I've not been really good at planning ahead. I, I can take action today, right, on whatever and announce a new initiative, but I'm not planning, you know, two, three years out or what, what, what I'm actually going to do after I launch this initiative. And that's something I'm working on um, trying to get better at in, you know, my personal life and my professional life, just five steps ahead. Uh, he uses the reference of chess and how the grandmasters think 12 steps ahead. And I'm like, oh man, let's practice with one, right? What happens after <laughs> this one thing? <laughs> so baby steps. That's a really great book. I'm um, wrapping up probably in the next few days. Then the book recommendation I typically give is a book by David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me. Truly, truly life-changing book about a man who changes his own life and goes from really overweight exterminator who's extremely unhappy with his career, with his life, to probably the most fit guy you'll ever meet and the most determined, the most, as he says, stay hard. Like He's just like, he's a beast. And if you've never heard of him, just look him up, follow him on social media. He always puts out content that will make you feel bad about yourself. You'll feel like a really lazy person every time you watch <laughs> him running. Like, yeah, that's, that's what I want. More, of, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> more ways to feel bad about yourself. Bad <laughs> no, seriously. Like he, the, that book has completely changed my life uh, and how I perceive challenges. And I always liked challenges and doing things that are complex, complex and difficult. But after that book, I feel like anything I've ever done is, is nothing compared to the things that he was able to accomplish and the obstacles that he overcame. So definitely recommend that. If you have the option of doing the audiobook, I recommend that even more because he delivers the audiobook in the form of like a podcast. He has somebody reading his book, but also um, I forget who the, the interviewer is. He asks him deeper questions like, Goggins, what were you thinking in this moment? You know, you just completed this crazy 100-mile run. What were you thinking? And he's just sitting there, and they're just having a great time. So definitely recommend that. That is a cool audiobook format. I wasn't aware of anyone doing anything like that. <laughs> I, that's what, I have a feeling you're, you're, when you make an audiobook of your book, it's going to be like that. Yeah, be I should full do that. Of properly colored visualizations, the right charts. An audiobook with colored visualizations, really? That's uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That that made a lot of sense. That was the best idea I've had today. <laughs> oh. um, all right. So uh, with that, if there's anyone out there who's listening who isn't already following you, 
who isn't already following you on LinkedIn, um, how can they find you? What are the best places? I think it seems clear finding you on LinkedIn is, is the best place to follow you. But is, is there any other way that our audience should be following you? Yeah, I would say uh, LinkedIn is probably the number one place where you can find me. I live there. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Story by Data. I do have other social media accounts, but I rarely go in there. So if you really want to find me, I'd say LinkedIn. But John, I just realized you've not said my last name yet. So you need to tell people my full name so they can find oh, me. Well, that's because there's an intro segment that I record separately. <laughs> and so the audience will have heard your last name, even though I haven't said it to you. Um, but yeah, I think that this gives me a good opportunity to, to practice saying it. Kate Strachnik. Oh, there you go. Okay, thank yeah. you. I wanted to confirm it. that it still works, yes. So you can find Kate Strachny on LinkedIn. And, um, and she would love to also tell you about what her last name means because it's, really, um, uh, it's a really cute last name. Oh, yes, it's adorable. It actually took me a full year after marrying my husband to actually taking his last name because of how adorable it is. So <laughs> those who have uh, any background in Russian or Ukrainian, uh, the word strashne actually means ugly or scary man. And I, mm. I try to bring this up as much as I can at live events where I would actually meet people and they're like, hey, what's your name? And they try to pronounce the last name, you know, the whole like, oh, how do you say that? That's beautiful. I'm like, of course it's beautiful. Let me tell you what it means. And it's typically the men who ask, right? And so I tell them it's like an ugly or scary man. And then they think I'm talking to them. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just telling you what my last name means. <laughs> it's always a good icebreaker. <laughs> then they remember forever. Look, it's an ugly or scary man. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. happens to me all the time in conversation. <laughs> I hear that constantly. Uh -huh. Right after I suggest that people have great visuals in their audiobooks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was perfect. Please keep that in. Keep that in the podcast. <laughs> oh, we will absolutely keep that in the podcast. Um, I am not embarrassed. All right. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program, Kate. Is there anything else that I missed that you would like to add? Anything like maybe uh, what your middle name means or anything like that that I missed? <laughs> I mean, if we're going to talk about names, I'll tell you I've changed my names four or five times legally. Uh -huh. So yeah, there's that. I used to be a much, it was, I had three names and none of them are Kate's last name. So Whoa. I'm not a criminal, I promise. I just had a <laughs> lot of confusion. <laughs> Coming from Tajikistan, it was, uh, I was named with a very interesting, unique name that is impossible to pronounce both first name and last name. And I had a middle name, which was really long as well. So as I kept going through the journey of changing my name, I finally landed on Kate's last name. And I told my husband already, even if he leaves me, I am not changing Let's my name. <laughs> I'm going to be Strashny forever. And I, yeah. like, I like that you were like, so now it sounds clearly, so you married your husband because you liked the sound of his last name. Uh -huh. And then you later discovered what it meant. And so <laughs> no, I, you didn't actually change your last name until after a year being married. <laughs> no, I still remember learning his last name. We were dating, right? And I'm like, you're joking. <laughs> He's like, no, no, that's, that's it. I'm like, okay, well, that's great. That's good to know. All right. Well, would you tell us your Tajikistanian full name? Just it's so a we... Russian name. So it used Hello. to be Ksenia Vadimovna Alayeva. So far from Kate Sashne, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that is good. What was the first name? Ksenia. Yeah. So Ksenia. I had telemarketers call my house and say, 
May speak to ka, ka, wow. They would just literally call me ka, wow because they didn't want to try the, the rest of the name. And all my teachers messed it up. It was just terrible. So early on, I think I was like 13. I'm like, guys, call me Kate. I just came up with a random name and then it stuck. So now people know. No, I like it. Although I don't mind Ksenia either. And you aren't, you aren't the first Ksenia I've ever met. But um, I'm the first Ksenia I've ever met. So, you know. Really? Oh, that's yeah. I can think of one very specifically right now. Anyway, the audience doesn't need to hear about that. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad that they got to hear your whole uh, original name. That's super interesting. What a fun uh, fact. Have you ever revealed that on a podcast before? I don't remember. Honestly, I'm so open on podcasts. I don't really think much as I speak. So <laughs> I don't. I really don't think I have. So if anything happens and I have like... Some people after me, then it's going to be because of the podcast. So it might be your fault. <laughs> that's, that's all okay. I, I think I avoided you saying anything that was incriminating today. Next time, we'll get you to incriminate yourself on air. Okay. Um, oh, there's going to be a next time. Wow. Look at that. Oh, sure. Just be, for the incrimination purposes. That's why we'll have you on again. But oh, also yeah. because you're an amazing guest. Thank you so much. We learned so much from you. I, you know, I learned a lot from you and we had a lot of fun recording this. Um, I have no doubt that uh, the audience learned a lot. Hopefully they didn't mind all of my ridiculous jokes and ideas. I'm sure they gained a lot from your content and ideas. And yeah, look forward to having you again on the podcast sometime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me back. My pleasure. And yeah, I guess uh, even though we both live in New York, the next time I'll see you, maybe we'll be ODSC West 2021 in San Francisco where I will be. Uh, when is that happening? Is in that November. Happening? And they're planning on having an in-person conference. Isn't that interesting? I'll get my mask ready. Let's do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, by then we shouldn't even need masks. Yeah, okay, sure. Let's, let's, be up, let's end on an optimistic note. Yay! Let's do that. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Kate. Catch you again soon. Wow. What a silly time we had in that episode, but we also covered a lot of rich ground, including the critical importance of effective data visualization and communication. No matter whether you're an analyst, data scientist, engineer, manager, if you work with data, you've got to be able to clearly express your findings and approaches to stakeholders. We also covered Kate's most valuable guidance for data visualization and communication, and how you can grow your professional social media following into the hundreds of thousands. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, and URLs to Kate's LinkedIn and Twitter profiles, as well as my own LinkedIn and Twitter profiles at superdatascience.com 441. That's superdatascience.com 441. When you add us on LinkedIn, it might be a good idea to mention you were listening to the Super Data Science Podcast so that we know you're not a random salesperson. If you enjoy this episode, kindly leave a review on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube where you can enjoy a high-fidelity video version of today's program. It sure is nice to be able to put smiling faces to all the laughs we had today. I also encourage you to tag me in a post on LinkedIn or Twitter to let me know your thoughts on this episode. I'd love to respond to your thoughts in public and get a conversation going. All right. It's been so great. Thank you for listening. I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science Podcast with you very soon. <laughs>